This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 343, August 9, 1995. This evening, our first subject will be at the excellent suggestion of Rod and Millie Seville of uh, British Columbia, the subject of censorship. A very, very important one because the present trend today is to insist on the equality of all things. All ideas have equal status. All opinions have an equal right. Now, this kind of thinking goes back to the Marquis de Sade. The Marquis de Sade wanted to make legitimate every kind of speech, every kind of sexual act, every kind of non-sexual act. In fact, he wanted the legalization of, well, rape, murder, theft, everything except Christianity, which he felt should be the only thing abolished. He wanted total anarchy. He believed in the equality of all things. Therefore, he created a current in uh, Western civilization for a long, long time, an undercurrent intellectually. But since World War II, an overpowering current in society calling for the equalization of all things, the abolition of any kind of censorship, such as we have seen in one case after another where it has been argued that pornography is simply freedom of speech. The result is that we have no legal decision that gives a clear-cut definition of what pornography is. The result is the proliferation of pornography and of a variety of acts that once were not tolerable. I recall years ago when I was a student, I believe, in the seventh grade. The teacher, a very superior one, had made clear that uh, he was going to tolerate no opinion but his own (laughs) in the classroom. He was teaching a course to seventh graders on Shakespeare. And he said, none of you are capable at this time in your life to pass a judgment on Shakespeare. I'm here to teach you. I'm the one who's going to speak and you're going to listen and you have no freedom of speech unless I tell you. Well, I was very impressed with what he had to say and He did command the class. He was an excellent teacher. Somewhere along the line, I was told in the course of my earlier education that uh, freedom of speech, which the Constitution guarantees, does not include any so-called right to obscene speech or to dangerous speech. And I was told that a Supreme Court decision had ruled that freedom of speech did not extend to shouting fire in a crowded theater. But all that now is under attack. People are busy insisting that... uh, Pornography is covered by the Constitution as freedom of speech. I can recall when in the 20s or 30s, on a streetcar or a bus, if anyone's language was out of line, the 
conductor would stop the car and ask him to leave. No refund of his fare. He was expected to behave himself like a gentleman when he was on public transportation. That seems so remote today, but that actually was the case once. Well, we have the Saudian idea of free speech prevailing now. Supposedly, people can write and speak as they choose. In fact, the more obscene and profane, the more highly regarded in some circles, the literary quality of the work has been regarded. And I believe when we get past this point in civilization, people will look back on some of the very highly regarded uh, literary works with amusement. Their main merit has been their off-the-wall subject, their obscenity, their exploitation of everything that uh, is disreputable and likely to offend. That somehow passes for moral courage. All of this is very important to us because it is leading to the decline of civilization. In a foreign weekly just a few days ago, I read a statement by a writer who in sorrow said that he no longer heard when he left the house living in a major city the happy voices of children, girls playing hopscotch, boys playing games that boys play, and that sort of thing. And he said the reason is an obvious one. It is no longer safe to have your children out on the sidewalk because of the depravity of so many human beings in the city and the fact that legal authorities are no longer able to cope with the situation. So we do live in difficult times. And anyone who raises the voice of censorship is immediately treated with scorn and contempt as though he were some kind of tyrant. But actually, in the 20s and 30s, we had more freedom, far more freedom than we have now. Only the rich were taxed by the IRS. People could walk anywhere in the city in safety. Children could play late at night outside in safety. What was censored then? Only that which was morally wrong, pornographic. We have not gained freedom with the anti-censorship uh, movements, but we have lost it. Well, with that, uh, Douglas, would you like to comment? Well, I think in many people's minds, censorship has always been a hallmark of a, a dictatorship or a repressive government. And we've seen, at least in my lifetime, since the free speech movement of the 60s, the uh, gradual, uh, in fact, accelerated erosion of the ability of people to speak their minds freely on any subject and to discuss uh, any any subject at will. The, um, the political correct movement 
that we have be- all become aware of in the past probably 10 years, perhaps longer, but it's really become a popular term or a household term in the past perhaps 5 to 10 years, uh, means that censorship, uh, at least on an intellectual level, has really arrived. And it's censorship across the board. It's in every area of life. Uh, every human activity has to fall within these confines or um, <clears throat> it's uh, demonized. If you take issue uh, with any uh, of the people uh, who uh, lay down these political correct uh, guidelines, uh, you're immediately demonized for taking issue with them. Uh, people's lives are destroyed, their professional lives are destroyed um, on the basis that they take issue with the uh, political, uh, politically correct uh, uh, guidelines. Uh, people are unable to earn degrees, higher uh, degrees in uh, universities if they take issue with uh, university professors in uh, violation of the politically correct guidelines. So it's pervasive throughout our entire culture, and it's it's really shaping the direction that we're going. Uh, because when you when you force uh, the people in academia to uh, comply with these uh, politically correct guidelines, you now have a generational thing that's being passed on uh, from generation to generation, and it's become becoming so institutionalized that uh, it's uh, pretty tough to break. Andrew? Certainly prominent in our culture. I should point out that um, this is not a new phenomenon. Um, uh, Plato, for example, advocated uh, strong censorship in uh, certain situations, especially of artists and poets whom he did not trust, although for some reason he trusted the philosopher kings, of which he was one. Um, We need to remember that the founders uh, were attempting to protect political and religious discourse when they talked about the right to free speech. They weren't talking about obscenity and the sort of evils that Rush was mentioning. But two, we need to remember there's no zone of neutrality. I mean, the Bible censors blasphemy, for example. So there will be some sort of censorship. The question is whether it will be godly censorship or ungodly censorship. I was just reminded as Rush was talking about the statement by Gertrude Himmelfarb, whose writings you know, Rush, she said, it is really ironic that uh, in this country today, A crucifix immersed in urine is permitted as a work of art, but a crucifix not immersed in urine, set set up on a wall somewhere in a public institution, is not permitted. Yes. Which really shows the ironic uh, evil that we have uh, we've fallen into. Maybe also a little later we should talk about whether the uh, federal government should be involved in uh, the task of censorship. There's the whole issue today of. uh, uh, what was it this past week? Uh, Congress passed uh, a law saying that the televisions could include a little chip in them and that certain broadcasters couldn't broadcast certain things or that they would be forbidden by means of this little little chip. Of course, there's the argument over policing the Internet and all that sort of thing. So maybe those are things that we need to, need to discuss also as this discussion goes on. Part of this public discussion should be that we believe in, in censorship. And that everybody should, as an individual, as a family, and as a society, we just have to decide what we believe in censoring. And uh, censorship is used in the public debate almost like uh, race. Once you bring up the term racist or sexist, then your um, your opponent is expected to back off. That's right. And uh, once they accuse us of censorship or or, or mm-hmm. McCarthyism, then you you're expected to, to go on the defensive. Some topics they want off limits, and that's uh, that's totally wrong. I think the reason they're that way is because they lack faith. Christians, because they do have an objective source of revelation, can discuss these topics. But when they don't have faith in a sovereign God, then they have to place certain controversial topics off limits, and that's what's so prominent in universities these days. One, one way in which they... Um, there's a lot of ways in which things are censored. And the liberals are good at subterfuge. They use words like equality and fair play and and such words, and they use them incorrectly, and they redefine them, and they use English language dishonestly. But there are a lot of ways people in in the church and in politics and in in 
academia uh, censor discussion, and that is by defining something as being irrelevant to the discussion. That's right. Uh, in theology, Absolutely. years ago, my, my uh, father wrote a position paper, I, I think it was a position paper on box theology, mm, yes. saying that you put, you put your theology in a box, it's basically irrelevant to everything, but if you want to believe it, you keep it in the confines of the church, and that theology is only valid inside the confines of the church and don't bring it into the public debate. That's right. So if you bring in your faith, you bring in the Bible, it's defined as being irrelevant, and you're not relevant to the discussion at hand. Yes. Um, in schools, they de departmentalize um, uh, academia. So if you bring in um, a fact extraneous to 20th century thought, says, well, that's not relevant to the 20th century. That's, that belongs to the 15th century or the, the first century yes. Christian thought. And uh, they, they define something as being irrelevant to the discussion and therefore try to get rid of it. That's why the humanists are afraid of us. When I was down in San Diego starting the uh, Reconstruction Society down there, one of the leaders told me about that, that he had talked to a humanist, I believe it was a woman, and she said, boy, these Reconstructionists, and I believe they even mentioned your name, Rush, these are Christians like we've never seen before. We're accustomed to irrelevant Christians, but these Christians are dangerous. And they're keeping tabs on us because, because uh, of what Mark precisely said. Because we're willing to apply the faith in all areas of life. We don't have a box theology. And she said, these people have a, have a world view like we do, and they can compete with us, and it's frightening them. Well, it should frighten them. That's the way that it should be. You mentioned the <clears throat> political correctness Douglas in the academic community. There's something else there. There is cowardice. Yes. One of the things that has been happening in recent years is that a speaker who is invited to a college or university, and this can include so-called Christian colleges, which are no more than church-related colleges, yes. and he asks the person who is presiding to control the uh, discussion, not to allow any students to get up to rant and rage and spout off. But when a student begins to do that, the presiding professor just sits there uh, trying to shrink into nothingness because he doesn't have the moral courage to tell the student, sit down, you are not the speaker, you have no right to be insulting, this is a time for questions, not for orations. But there are no professors, or if there are, I haven't heard of them, who are ready to do that. So what we are seeing is a remarkable moral cowardice on the part of humanists and some professing Christians. In some cases, Rush, uh, students have actually rushed the stage and uh, pulled the speaker out of the uh, place he was speaking, and the, the whole talk had to be called off because of that. And you know, talking about Christian schools, I was thinking about what may be the leading supposed evangelical school in the country several years ago invited a conservative evangelical, not specifically reformed necessarily, to talk about homosexuality, and he pointed out what the Bible said as far as opposition to homosexuality, and there was an uproar, an outcry, that he would say such things. And if I mentioned the name of the institution, virtually everybody listening to the tape would know. Noted evangelical school. Uh, this sort of thing is going on all over the place. I know. And nothing is done by the trustees or the no. graduates or the people who pour gifts into such schools. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure I know the school you mentioned. I have been there, and I know what the situation is, and I'm talking about the early 60s. Yes. And yet, uh, wealthy alumni will put tremendous sums into that school and others and become very angry if you call attention to the actual episodes there. Yes. Well, Rush, if that's the case, they're idolaters. They're yes. worshiping the institution yes. rather than the sovereign God and what is right and is pure. 
And those donors will have to stand before God and the trustees and the faculty and the others that refuse to, to stand up and speak. It is a deep and severe evil. Well, censorship is very prevalent today, but it is an attempt to censor us. Yes. One of our staff, in calling attention to something, uh, citing the documents and all, to call attention to what was being done by federal and state authorities using only their documents was told by one of the prominent people who represented the uh, liberal uh, side of the picture a hate monger a hate monger simply because he quoted them he was trying to upset people, rile them up, and so on. So it doesn't matter whether uh, it's the truth or not. Well, nowadays that, <laughs> that's almost a, a, a litmus test, an indicator that you're getting through uh, when they start uh, calling you names. Yes. Uh, you know, various uh, radio and television uh, commentators, conservative commentators, they, they can tell how effective they are uh, by the vitriolic telephone calls and uh, so forth that they get. So it's becoming a badge of courage. Well, the courts are cowardly also. Yes. Uh, some years ago, a number of statements were made all in the same direction. The Supreme Court follows the polls <laughs> because... It does not give an independent decision that will make it unpopular with most Americans. And so a great many court decisions are so qualified that uh, it's sometimes difficult to figure what side they're on. They're trying to confuse the issue and make more work for lawyers, it would seem, because they do not come out equivocally for or against anything. And I think that what we see in the churches and in society at large is something our Lord talks about in his letter to the seven churches. When he comes to the church of Laodicea, he says, because you are neither hot nor cold, but only lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I think that's what God is saying to church people and non-church people. You're lukewarm. Fit for nothing but to be, be vomited. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. I was intrigued when you began, Rush, you were talking about the equality of all ideas. That idea, too, has pervaded the church. Yes. Uh, but more and more you see churches just unwilling to take a stand whenever it seems unpopular. Not just the Supreme Court, but churches themselves yes. give in to democratic popularity. In fact, just today I received a package in the mail or an envelope from someone. Uh, there's a noted reform denomination, and again, if I mentioned it, all of you, virtually all of you would... Uh, know it. They just decided not too long ago that each church or a synod may decide whether they will ordain women or not. And this, this, they have a glorious heritage, this particular denomination. But they're just capitulating to the times. Yes. Uh, it's so frequent. Well, the cowardice in the churches is really appalling. And it goes hand in hand with their antinomianism. If you don't believe in God's law, you don't have a moral backbone. That's right. You're going to be molded by the times, yes. by what people think. And increasingly, that's how people are molded. Yes. They are shaped by the world around them. They're afraid to speak out on an issue. Well, Russ, that's what de Tocqueville, as you know, called the tyranny of the majority. Yes. Uh, which is more dangerous than an actually an actual uh, government-inspired physical coercive tyranny 
because that can be opposed. But when the majority are out there conditioning the way people think, and when you have cowards who won't stand up for the truth, then you truly do have a tyranny because there are no alternative ideas. And that's so frequently. Well, de Tocqueville, whom you cited, felt that uh, the world had taken a dangerous turn with the French Revolution because the French Revolution enthroned liberty, fraternity, and equality. And he said in time, the idea of a radical equality will destroy all fraternity or brotherhood. It will make it impossible for people to feel close naturally. And it will destroy all liberty. Yes. Because it will not tolerate freedom if that freedom has anything in it that militates against the radical equality of everything. And uh, Charles Hodge, the Calvinist theologian of uh, about 110 or 20 years ago in one of his articles, said that the idea of equality was going to destroy education because it would mean that you would try to equalize everything in terms of the lowest common denominator so that you would eliminate Christianity from the public schools for a vague moralism and you would eliminate that moralism then you would eliminate any excellence until finally you had reduced public education to the lowest common denominator. I think I should call attention at this time to the fact that two of the Ten Commandments favor censorship. Exodus 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And then the 16th verse of Exodus 20, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So, our speech is censored in relationship to God and in relationship to our fellow men. We are not to bear false witness, nor to take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, it is out of these two commandments that Western civilization has gained a great deal of freedom. Other religions have at times also censored some things, but they have been either too loose or too uh, extreme. But what we have, in effect, in the Ten Commandments is an insistence on speaking the truth. We have freedom of speech if we speak the truth. We have the right, therefore, whether in speech or in writing, to follow the path that we feel we should take if we speak the truth. Now, that is a healthy qualification. It has made possible the progress of civilization. But when you have a situation where anything can be said about it, anyone else, and men in high places, whether in the military or in politics, can be slandered. Yes. And the courts will not consider it slander because it's a part of the political process and uh, it has to be tolerated. And this is keeping more than a few people from entering into political life. Well, this is where <clears throat> we get down to the schism between uh, the humanists and Christians. Um, Christians are given God-given rights and also God-given responsibilities 
the humanists have manufactured rights without any responsibility. That's right. And this is where the problem is. Yes. This problem of slander too is in the, is in the church. Um, so many uh, as a former pastor, I know so many tales are told about one member about the pastor, and they are passed around, and they're across the country. And then when a retraction comes or a correction comes, the damage has been done. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I wish that so many Christians would read what the book of Proverbs says about slander and tail-bearing yes. and how dangerous uh, dangerous those things are. It's, of course, true not only in the church. It's also true in the state and in society. And uh, you're right, a number of whoever said it, a number of people will not enter public office. In fact, uh, I think I was reading one a couple of years ago. He was to be considered for a particular appointment, and he says, I'm not going to sit there in front of these senators, and their aides have gone into my background and bringing up every thing that can be interpreted as being sleazy and have it on TV. This is uh, this is a prominent problem we have today. I have, <clears throat> have to relate an experience to you, hearkening uh, back to what Mark said about the obfuscation or or uh, uh, confusion, uh, generating confusion about the meaning of words. When I went into the Army, I was 18 years old, and I went into a branch of the military where I required a, was required to have a very high security clearance. And <clears throat> during the induction process, I had to pour over pages and pages of names of organizations that were considered subversive by the U.S. government. Now, at 18 years old, I had no political viewpoint one way or the other, but I had to pour over all of these 250-odd names of these organizations. And the one thing that struck me about this was the concerted attempt that was made in coming up with the names of these organizations to intentionally disguise the true motives of the organizations. Mm-hmm. And even at 18 years old, it, it stood out so stark that, you know, even at 18 years old, I realized that there was something wrong here. And, and from there on, I began to see numerous instances mm-hmm. of the intentional uh, demeaning of the language. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Well, Orwell talked about that. Newspeak, uh, <laughs> his book, 1984. That's uh, well, we called the unborn baby a, a fetus, and uh, we'll talk on the next tape about euthanasia. And uh, words like that were actually used in Germany in the mm-hmm. 30s. Euphemisms. Yes. Um, that's a severe problem. You know, I wanted to mention too that. Um, the granting of tax exemption is a form of censorship and how um, more and more it is held that if a religious body sort of gets out of line on controversial topics it may lose its tax exemption that's something perhaps we should uh, mention because I think that really could be a problem in the future well we just had a a classic example of that with the federal government threatening the governor of the state of California with the total review of of funding to the University of California because they decided to take a stand against quotas and uh, eliminate the affirmative action within the university. Uh, how fortunately they backed off. Yes. But you know, here's and we've seen numerous attempts where states, in trying to either revamp their welfare laws or whatever it is, are threatened by the federal government with loss of federal funds. Well, it happened in the Bob Jones University case about ten or twelve years ago, and. While many of our listeners may not agree with them on all points, um, they had a particular conviction. We may not agree with that conviction about a dating policy, but the point is it was a religious conviction they held, and the federal government says we don't like it, so uh, we're going to revoke your tax exemption. Well, speaking of of, um, the church, there's a lot of ways the church is like to cut off discussion. Churches like to censor people, especially who yes. don't agree with the church. And there, right. there's a number of ways they do that. One is by uh, church authority. If you uh, if you interpret the Bible differently, they can always revert to the, the church authority, the church uh, tradition or whatever. Yes. We, we, we sometimes uh, accuse Catholics of 
believing too strongly in church tradition, but Protestants, Protestants can do be it. That's right. Yes. To the very same extent, or they'll revert to denominationalism. This is what the denomination right. says, or the church authority, and the church becomes the authority rather than Scripture, and they don't even want to entertain discussions of what Scripture says uh, on a topic. That's right. And in a, in a broader sense, dispensationalism censors much of what they, they, they allow people like us to say because if we That's believe right. that the all of the scriptures are relevant today and all are authoritative yes, they can right. always revert to this um, this overriding theory of dispensationalism in which is a sense and I, I like to refer to it as an as editing the word of God mm-hmm. they've said this isn't relevant um, this isn't relevant this isn't binding today and therefore we don't have to listen to you called cooking the books Yes. Yeah. Well, right now, a church has recalled some missionaries who did nothing other than what was required by their book of order, but they didn't feel the headquarters authorities that it was uh, politically wise to do so at the present time. It never occurred to those missionaries that what they did, which is routinely done in one mission field after another, as well as here, would somehow come under their disapproval. So, uh, churches are censoring not in terms of the Word of God, but in terms of purely church politics. And that is, I think, sinful. Which is when, when people talk about church government and scriptures and, and defend a form of church government, they often forget that that church government, even if you can scripturally defend it, a church government is only as good as the people who run it. And in an evil Absolutely. age, you, you could have a perfectly scriptural form of church government and a perfectly evil church. I know of people who believe that just if the right form of church government is exercised, everything will be all right. That is a total fallacy. One of the great quotations from John Adams at the time that the Constitution was ratified uh, is worth citing here. I wish I had it before me to quote exactly. But he said, We have created a Constitution but it cannot prevent anything because it is made for a Christian and a moral people. It will not work if they are neither Christian nor moral. And thus we see all of the judicial revisionism. Uh, They're forced to, modern justices, the last two or three generations have been forced to change the Constitution precisely for that reason. Yes. Because it does not support anything but a moral Christian order. Yes. And one of the disadvantages of a, of a representative government when, when you have um, an immoral people Absolutely. Is, is it is very difficult to reform. It is going to be very difficult to reform and right. virtually impossible to reform American culture in the political sphere without changing the American people. Yes, that's exactly right. I think Rush was talking about the Supreme Court. Well, the founders didn't want the Supreme Court to be amenable to popular opinion and fads. But as Rush pointed out, that's exactly been the case. I mean, that's why we want to have an independent judiciary. That was the whole idea, an unelected judiciary. But uh, unfortunately, they have capitulated to a large degree like uh, well, like the rest of the forms of government. We want them independent from man, but we don't want them independent from no, God's law. That's, that's right. That's where the problem exactly. comes in. Well, censorship is going to be a more lively issue than ever in the years Censor that dog, please. (laughs) Because uh, as the Christian strength in this country increases, more and more the humanists will be screaming censorship. Yes. And accusing us of trying to censor them. But what are they doing to us? Exactly. They have censored the Bible and prayer out of public institutions, schools and the like. And they have censored it out of uh, 
historic uh, and time-honored holy days like Christmas and Easter. They are eliminating it by censorship. Absolutely. But they will not call it that. It's amazing. It reminds me of something Stanley Fish said in one of his recent books. He says, if you're in control in the society or classroom, you say, this is the way it's going to be. We're not going to permit any dissent. Mm -hmm. He says, if you're in the minority, you scream, you want your rights. I mean, he was so bald as to admit that. Mm -hmm. And what you just mentioned reminded me of that. Yes. And that's precisely the case. That's the way these people think. Well, the battle is going to uh, become more intense in the years ahead. The opposition does feel threatened by us. Oh, yes. And they are going to lash out with all the anger possible. I have seen that over the years increase in interviews that uh, have occurred. It used to be the interviews were sometimes friendly, sometimes not. Now they're uniformly hostile. Because the fact that you think biblically is regarded by them as an unspeakable offense, as uh, something uh, evil. That's the only way to describe it. Well, Rush, too, I think we represent a clear threat to their worldview. Yes. And I think that they recognize that. I mean, you can't defeat humanism with three sermonic points in a poem. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you can't defeat humanism with uh, an Awana club and a Wednesday night prayer meeting. You have to have a full orb Christian worldview, which is what you've been advocating for decades. And I think that they're frightened. I think that they know they can be defeated, and they need to be frightened. And if they say we're dangerous, well, if they mean by that that we're going to do our best to subvert their cause by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, well, they should be frightened. Mm -hmm. Well, they should be frightened above all else by God. Yes. Because God is, and He will judge them. And if they read history which has disappeared into social science they would know that uh, the times of judgment do come they're inescapable God is very very patient but sooner or later his judgment comes down upon men and nations and we are in a time of judgment and there is no escaping it so they're going to be more afraid of God before the, uh, all of this is over. And one thing is certain, they will not censor God. No. As the second psalm says, He that sits in the heavens will laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. I think an in interesting development in our culture that we've seen within our lifetimes is uh, people rely less on words than they do on visual images. Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, Statistics abound that uh, when television first came in the 1950s, something like 80% of the people who had television sets were watching the, the network programs and so forth. Now it's their, their viewership has dropped 50%. People have gone to other pursuits for their information. They're going to the alternative press, uh, talk radio, uh, because people can be literally driven mad by attempts at brainwashing, that, which is what the media has been trying to do here for the last 30 years. The obfuscation of meaning. Words don't mean, th things don't mean what they say. The Bible doesn't, you know, their attitude is the Bible doesn't mean what it says. Constitution doesn't mean what it says. That it's irrelevant. Bible's irrelevant. Constitution's irrelevant. It's what, quotes we say uh, at the moment, uh, that that's important and people are just being literally driven nuts by this so that they're tuning out everything and they're mesmerizing themselves with visual images MTV etc that's right and they're setting themselves up for the fall <clears throat> an interesting thing now I don't stay up that late and of course a lot of TV is around the clock but do you remember when 
television programs would conclude at midnight or one o'clock with uh, a, a picture of the flag singing of the national uh, anthem or something yes, like that and the star-spangled banner there uh, used to be a, a sermon in San Francisco when I was a kid uh, they had a picture of that cross up on Mount Davidson as the last yeah, thing that was on television yeah, I mean, a lot of people forget, forget that. that and there was you know a, a prayer uh, that was offered before the station went off. Who was it? Was it Bishop Sheen? That was uh, one of the most popular TV uh, programs oh, in the fifties. Yeah. Well, Neil Postman pointed out, and I'm using ourselves to death, that we've definitely changed from a word-oriented to a visual-oriented culture. And you don't have to look anywhere other than at um, the newspapers from late last century to see that. I mean, they weren't mm-hmm. colorful, not only because of the lack of technology, but they were actually extensive uh, reporting. Compare yes. that to modern pop newspapers like USA Today, especially, which was designed to look like a TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you really see the difference. You go back and uh, read the Lincoln Douglas debates. What substantial, substantive issues were dealt with there? Compared to today's debates, it's all how people look, you know, how you come across and your visual image and all that sort of thing. Thus, we have a whole society of unthinking people. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting story I heard there is. Um, of course, we've all heard the uh, accounts. I wasn't a- around to, to pay any attention, or, but in the 1960 presidential yes. debates, the um, famous that Nixon, Nixon supposed to look haggard. His five o'clock shadow and the, and the circles under his eyes, and uh, yeah. Kennedy had a makeup artist, and so <laughs> he just looked a lot livelier and a lot more with it. And um, I remember reading something uh, about a, a, somebody who was involved in the campaign was real excited about how well Nixon did because he had, he had listened to it in his car on the radio mm-hmm. and um, he was convinced Nixon did great and he got to talking to some of the other people in the country <laughs> 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 he was saying how horrible it was what you say doesn't matter it's just how you look mm-hmm. well whenever one may think of Lincoln there's no way he would be elected today without all of the I mean he, he was a well, you know Rush we've talked about yes. his unsightly and several <laughs> other presidents some were quite portly quite portly and uh, they just wouldn't, uh, they just wouldn't make it today, mm-hmm. because uh, there's the worship of the visual image rather than the word. Well, it is interesting how much the visual image dominates. A great deal of the uh, effectiveness of the present pope is precisely the fact that. He is very effective on television. He comes across very well. And uh, his appeal to Catholics and non-Catholics is too much oriented to the visual image and less to what he says. Now, the liberals are not happy with a lot that he says, and uh, there are some things he has said that I'm not happy with, but the point is, the focus is not as much on the content as on the visual image in one area after another. And the sad thing is that people that are accustomed to that can be easily misled, uh, easily tyrannized, because they can't think critically, and they're going to be impressed by looks and appearance rather than by substance. Well, kids are tyrannized by MTV. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's all the majority of them see. That's exactly right. Well, censorship is a very important issue in our time because we are accused constantly of wanting censorship, which we do if it is a godly uh, one. And we are being censored out of the public arena. And... Any politician now whose faith is a bit too much in evidence is in a big trouble. That's exactly right. People have accused us Reconstructionists and says they have said uh, if you had your way there would be this huge, massive civil government. I don't think that they understand that it is only according to the biblical pattern we support that there would be less yes. civil government. Definitely. Biblical law, according to the rabbinic count is a total of 613 counts. 
we would say it's much less because what the rabbis have done is to divide a single law into its component parts. So instead of uh, thousands upon thousands of volumes of law books, biblical law goes in terms of just a few pages of laws. And this means that it is the foundation of liberty in that it leaves man freedom in most spheres. But of course, what they object to is that it doesn't give them the sexual freedom they want, yes. which is, since the Marquis de Sade, the definition of freedom. The right to do as one pleases sexually and this is what the efforts against censorship are designed to further. The people are libertines. They want to destroy morality in society because they do not believe in morality. They want a world in which every kind of sexual act is permissible and in which, of course, a biblical morality with regard to the family and sexuality is hated. So this is our problem today. And this is why there is so much talk about freedom, but it's only in one sphere. It's not freedom in terms of its historic meaning. Our time is nearly over. Would each of you like to make a final statement before we conclude? Well, I think we need to re define or at least uh, reestablish in people's minds that uh, with rights go responsibilities. Yes. And everyone has to take that job on themselves, and particularly in their families. Uh, if you're the head, head of a family, uh, you must establish that in your home. And it has to be passed on from generation to generation. It's absolutely critical. And in the schools. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say quickly, the censorship must be defined in terms of the Word of God, and that must be enforced. Our answer is the infallible and scripturated Word of God, period. I'd say we don't have to feel like we have to be on the defensive when people use words like censorship, because we know liberals believe in censorship, and we need to come out in the open and say, we both believe in censorship. What is it you yes. want to prevent? You want to That's prevent right. the Christian faith. You want to prevent uh, biblical morality. Uh, we have a different view of what ought to be censored. Yes, and also that we do not believe in the equality of all acts and all words. Yes. This is why we have professors now who feel that any little article they write is better than Shakespeare or equal to it. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening and God bless you.